The Blessed Life by uh, Robert Morris, his life ministry, his life message. Um, For those that are watching online today, I think what we'll do because of the weather, there's so many people that weren't able to be here early this morning, uh, we will be posting on our prayer chain and maybe on our Facebook page a link so you can watch the uh, video number two that he spoke today. Uh, It will come to your... uh, Wherever it comes, the title of it uh, is The Test. Um, The title of my message is different than that, but that's what you'll see when it comes through to your computers, The Test. And uh, it's such a blessing because most of the time when you get video series like this and materials, study materials, everything's copyrighted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, All of this is made available to the church worldwide. Um, As I said last week, Robert Morris receives zero um, royalties from this book that sold millions of copies. And we can go online, watch the videos, print out the materials, do whatever we want, free. That doesn't happen real often. So it really is a blessing. So this week, part two, he calls it the test. The title of the message, the way I'm looking at it is Life Not Law. And I hope as we go through this, you'll begin to understand why I chose those words instead of just the test. The test is a fabulous, fabulous title, and you'll see how applicable it is as we go into this. But I chose life, not law. And this week, we are going to be primarily focusing on tithing. Now, as soon as I say tithing, most of us think money. It certainly is. But most of us kind of Swallow hard and go, oh, good, here we go again. You know, remember, tithing is not just money. We are called to tithe of everything that the Lord gives us. And if we believe what the Bible says, everything that we have and are is a gift from God. Every day that we're alive is a gift from him. Tithing of time to the kingdom of God, to his work. Every talent or spiritual gift that you and I have is a gift from him to be used for his glory. Can we make a conscious effort? I know one of the books I was reading, it was talking about the, this, this guy. It was a guy, I believe he was in the ministry, I'm not sure. But he wanted to try and tithe 10% of his, the time that he was awake. Well, let's assume we're, you're blessed and you get eight hours of sleep a night. Oh, I remember those days, faintly. That would leave you 16 hours. 10% of 16 hours, 1.6, just over one and a half hours a day, just to the Lord in prayer, doing the Lord's work, whatever it would be. Time, your talents, your treasure. We'll be looking at that. And last week, we talked a lot about stewardship. This week, the three main points are going to be tithing is a test, thus the title that he had. Tithing is biblical, and tithing is a blessing. Last week, I kind of focused mostly on stewardship. And when we talk about stewardship, that means when someone gives us something and we steward it or manage it. And we are all called to be stewards of whatever God blesses us with. We're called to be stewards of our time. Are we using it wisely for his glory? Stewards of our talents and our gifts. Stewards of our finances, our treasure. We're to be stewards of that. If we believe what the word of God says, and I hope I'm talking to a group that says amen to that, If we believe what the Word of God says, everything belongs to Him. 
And then he gives up to us to steward it and to steward it in a way that brings him glory. Now, there's a good example for us right away in the book of Genesis. Remember those two people that he created first? I hope. Adam and Eve, right? After he had created everything, he created man and woman, and it says he placed them in the garden, the Garden of Eden. And what did he say to them? I could paraphrase it and say, steward this place well. His words were more like, tend to it and cultivate it. Steward it. And part of that stewardship that they were supposed to carry out was, do not eat of the fruit of that one tree. Because when you do, you will surely die. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they were no longer acting like stewards. They were acting like owners. We don't have to listen to the one who gave us. We'll do what we want with it. Stewardship. Not only means taking care of what he gives us and then keeping it in our control. If he tells us to do something with it, that's how we steward it properly. We do what he says with that property, that finance, that time, whatever. And when we look at that, in a sense, I look at that as kind of how the principle of tithing works for us. In the area of finances, when we are faithful stewards of all that belongs to God, that includes giving back to him what he has said is his to keep. In this case of tithing, tithing means a tenth part, one-tenth, or ten percent. So if we're going to be good stewards of everything he has given us, we need to do what he says to do with all of it. And 10% of it, he says, here's how I want you to steward it. I want you to give it back to me. And it's a great program. Just think, that's how God decided to grow his church, to spread the word of God, to increase the kingdom of God through tithing. And just like Adam and Eve, if they would have maintained proper stewardship, they would have lived forever, hard as that is to believe with our minds. But when they didn't, they spiritually died and eventually physically died. So I look at that and say, life, not law. When we steward the way God intends, it brings life the blessings of God bring life. The law doesn't do that. But the blessings of God, stewardship, when it's done well. And last week, as we talked about stewardship, one of the things we really focused on was the generous heart and different ways to have a generous heart. And one of the ways, the key ways, was to remember who's it all belong to? The Lord. It's all His. So when he asks us to give something, we can give it freely. Now, I'll talk about generosity a little bit later, apply it to our own church a little later, but I thought it's really strange for me to be up here talking about generosity this morning when we received $72,000 in an offering last week. And the body of Christ, her fellow employees, friends and family around the communities of Ballot and Lake Benton and Russell have given $160,000. How many of you think that pleases God? 
Amen. How many of you know that's not your tithe? Whoops. No amens on that one. Believe it or not, it's not your tithe. It's giving above and beyond your tithe. And we'll talk about that in a little while too. A generous heart. It's all about the heart. Everything I'm going to talk about today, it's all about the heart, our heart. Why is it so much about your heart? Well, because I think you're, most of us are familiar with the scripture in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. It says, for your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And notice the way it's written. It doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure goes. No, no, no. It says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Is our treasure on e- in eternal things? It is, in the, is it in the works of God? Is it in advancing the kingdom? If that's where our treasure really is, you know, he tells us he's tre- storing up a treasure for us in heaven. When we get that mindset, generosity is so much easier. So that's why I see tithing as life-giving, but it certainly also is a test. There is no doubt about it. As Robert Morris says, it's a test every single one of us take every time we get paid. It's a test. Who do we pay first? Now, if we work for somebody else, we have an employer who we are employed by and they pay us. Who's getting paid first? Well, for almost every single one of us here, it's the government. Anybody here not have your taxes withheld when you get your paycheck from your employer? How many of you know how much that is every week or every two weeks or every month or however you get paid? We don't even know, do we? We just know what happens. And it doesn't necessarily bring a single blessing from God into our lives. And as Robert, Robert Morris says, Next, who's on the list? Uh, pick somebody. Visa, your mortgage, whatever. We are to give the tithe first. Now, there's not much you can do about the government, but we can do about whatever comes after that. So we're going to begin this morning in the book of Malachi. If you want to open your Bibles, and we're going to go through quite a few scriptures. I'm going to go very fast through a lot of these scriptures. Most of them are... A lot of them will not be on the screen. But in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. Now, when I talk about the book of Malachi, most of us aren't real familiar with a lot of these Old Testament prophets. But the book of Malachi only has four chapters. You can read it in 20 minutes. Study it forever. But in chapter 1, it's all about returning to God. The whole book is about returning to God or returning because in the last chapter, it's God returning to us. But in the first chapter, he focuses on the the returning to their faith. The people of God had abandoned God. It's returning to your faith. And then in the second chapter, it's about family, returning to family. And then in the third chapter, where we're going to look this morning, it's returning in the area of finances. And then chapter 4 is... God returning to us. So we're going to be looking at that. And so I'm going to start reading in chapter 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. It's so important in my mind that this scripture is here where he talks about what he's going to talk about next. Because what he's going to talk about next is very commonly used when we talk about giving and tithing. 
And it's very commonly ignored by most people. And it's not liked by a lot of people, and it's interpreted differently. But he says this, first of all, I am the Lord. That's who I am. I do not change. There's a word, immutability, the immutability of God. What the heck does that word mean? It simply means I don't change. It's an attribute of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we look at things in the Old Testament, we have a tendency to say that's Old Testament, doesn't apply to us. Well, there's lots of things in the Old Testament that apply to us. Lots of things. Not everything. We are no longer under the law, the religious law, the ceremonial law. We're not under that. But there's a whole lot of it that applies to us. And this is a God who doesn't change. And as we look through these few scriptures, you're going to see four different times he declares and reminds us who he is. It's almost like, I know you don't want to hear this, but remember, this is the Lord your God speaking to you. This is the Lord of hosts speaking to you. Four different times in just a few verses, he declares that. He says in verse 7, Yet from the day of your fathers, you have gone away from me, you went away from my ordinances, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts, the God who doesn't ever change. But you said, in what way shall we return? First, ordinances. You know, we have federal laws, laws of the nation, state laws, and when we get down to smaller levels of government, they oftentimes are called ordinances. They have to, they have to be in alignment with what's above them. So the word ordinance could imply law in some of its definitions, but Robert Morris gives a very good definition when he talks about the word ordinances. He uses it, the ordinary principles of behavior. I encourage you to write that down. Ordinary principles of behavior. You have not been following my ordinary principles of behavior. Not law, principles. And they should be ordinary for the body of Christ. The ordinary principles of behavior. And he goes on in verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? And you say, when I read that, and I've read it so many times in the last few weeks, it's almost like God said, really? You'd rob me? The God who never changes, the creator of the universe, the giver of all things? It's almost like, I mean, God's not surprised by anything, but to me it's like, really? You'd rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings is how you've robbed me. Tithes and offerings. Ordinary principles of behavior. And then in verse 9, he says, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, when you read that, you need to read it kind of carefully because you might almost read it and say, You mean God puts a curse on me if I don't tithe? I do not believe that's what it says at all. I do not believe that. I believe what he's saying, if you choose not to follow the ordinary principles of behavior as a Christian, tithing, you are going to fall under the curse of the world, the curse of the enemy. You are choosing to put yourself under a curse. It's not for me. You know, in the Bible it tells us, you know, Christ became a curse for us when he went to the cross. 
He took all of our sin. By his stripes we are healed. He became a curse on our behalf. But even though he did that, do we still sin? Yes, we do, don't we? Do we still get sick in this fallen world? Yes, we do, don't we? There are consequences in this world to sin. And there's consequences in this world to simply not following principles of God. I want you to understand, you will not hear me say, if you don't tithe, you're a bad person, or you're a rebellious person, or you're a mean person, or you're filled with sin. No, none of that is true. None of that is true. This is a principle of the Lord that we will see in the next verse or two. It brings great blessing. So the question is, why would I want to remove this covering of the blessing of God that I can stand under and live under, work under, and step out here where I fall under the curse of the world and the curse of the enemy? And this is what God is saying. You have chosen not to follow the ordinary principles of behavior, and you are robbing me. You're robbing me. You are cursed with a cursed. For you have robbed me. And then in verse 10 it says, So bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I could make a really good argument, and I believe the storehouse in contemporary times, modern times, is the church. Not the building, the church, where we gather together. This is where we should be bringing our tithes. And we'll see why in a little bit. Bring it into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, And try me now in this, or test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. It's like he's saying, I know this is tough to hear, but he says, this is the Lord of hosts talking. I'm the one who doesn't change. This is God, not Mike, not a preacher, not a televangelist. This is the Lord speaking these words. And he says, bring it in. Why? To take care of my house. To take care of the church. Feed the priests. Now, that would mean, yeah, feed the priests. Why? So they would have time to be studying the word of God, seeking God, seeking his face, hearing the will of God, catching the vision of God, doing all those things, but other things too. The contemporary church looks a little different. And then he says, try me in this. It's interesting. He is testing us to test our heart, to discover where our heart is, but it's like a two-way test. Man, in school, wouldn't you have loved to have been able to do that to your professors and teachers? Yeah, hey, I'll take your test. You're taking mine. Well, God's saying, this is a test of your heart. But go ahead. Test me in this. Tithe. Follow the ordinary principles of God and see, see what I will do for your obedience. He says, try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to even receive it all. As I said earlier, I believe that the storehouse is to be the local church. Why are we testing God? Do we really need to test God? Well, the answer should be no, but he's saying, go ahead. Test me in this. Test me. See if I'm trustworthy. See if I'm faithful. See if I will not provide for you. See if I don't love you enough to care for you. Go ahead. Test me in this. Test me and see what happens. 
And then we get to this amazing promise in verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for you. The devourer. It's like the worm that destroys. He will rebuke the devourer. He will rebuke the devourer who wants to destroy and steal your finances. He will rebuke the devourer who wants to destroy and consume your time. He will rebuke the devourer who wants to destroy and and misuse your talents and your gifts. He will rebuke the devourer who wants to destroy all of your relationships. He will rebuke the devourer. Man, is this a good deal or what? Of all the other blessings, if we just give back to him 10% of what he has given us, he's going to take care of you and me. Because he calls us his kids. We're his sons and daughters. I will rebuke the devourer, says the Lord of hosts, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Obeying the principles of tithing. And he says, I will bless you so much. In verse 12, he says, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God will bless his people, his church, to such a degree that it's going to be obvious to the world around us. Why? So we can strut around and show off? Of course not. Why? So people can see the goodness of God. And people can see, and our life can be a testimony and a witness. You seem to be so blessed. What's the secret? You know, we can go, I work harder, man, I'm smart. All that nonsense that there's probably some truth to, but it's because God is blessing us. So tithing is a test is the first one. I'm going to go very quick through this next one. Tithing is biblical. A couple of the main excuses you hear when I talk to people about tithing, one of them is it's Old Testament. It's under the law. We don't, we're not under the law. We're in the New Testament, New Covenant. Well, we are in the New Testament. We are in the New Covenant. But that doesn't mean God decided to change his ordinary principles of behavior. We'll see in Genesis chapter 4, verse 18. And remember, I know this can sound blunt, especially as I'm going through it quickly when I'm talking about tithing. But if you're not tithing, you're not evil. You're not a bad person. You're not a rebellious person. Most of the time when we don't tithe, it's because we do not have a true understanding of why we tithe. I'll talk about victory in our financial situation in just a few minutes. But I'm not up here trying to say, we need more money. You need to be blessed. That's what we need in the area of our time, our talent, and our treasures. We need to be blessed. In Genesis 4.18, there's a story about a guy named Melchizedek. And we see he and Abraham have an interaction. You can just write this down. This I don't think is up there. Genesis 14, verse 18. And it says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace is what that means. He brought out bread and wine, almost like communion. And he was the priest of the God Most High. This what took place 500 years before the law. And as we continue reading in verse 19, it says, And he blessed him. Blessed be Abraham, God of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tithe of all that he had. 500 years before the law, our spiritual father, in a sense, Abraham, tithes to Melchizedek. 
And most people would say, if you look in the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, it makes reference to Melchizedek, and it tells you he had no genealogy. He had no mother. He had no father. And to his reign, there is no end. Most people think this was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, at the very least a representation of Christ, and the tithe was given to him. In Genesis twenty-eight twenty-two, Jacob says these words, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. About 400 years before the law. Jacob had had an experience. If you're familiar with their Bible, he had a dream. And he sees a ladder extending from earth to heaven with the angels going up and down, and he has this amazing encounter with the presence of God. His heart was impacted And when he awoke from the dream, he says, I will give you a tithe of everything that I have. Leviticus 27, we're getting into where Moses is giving the law to the people. The tithe of the land, seed, fruit of the trees, it's all the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord's. And when you see that, it's meaning it's set apart for him. The tithe is holy because it's his set apart for him. Deuteronomy 26 and it shall be when you come into the land in which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which shall be bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in the basket and go to a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. It's interesting when, when they finally entered the promised land. Remember what the first city they attacked was? The walls came tumbling down. Jericho. You know what God's command to them was? Don't keep anything. You're going to conquer this city and these people. Don't keep any gold. Don't keep any silver. Don't keep anything. It belongs to me. The first city they conquered in the promised land was a tithe to God. And some of you might remember the story that somebody tried to do something different and violate that. Didn't go so well for him. In verse 13 of Deuteronomy 26, Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe, the holy tithe, the set-apart tithe, I have removed that from my house and also have given that to the Levites, the strangers, the fatherless, and the widows. He's taking his tithe, giving it to where God declares it should go, according to all your commandments. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I haven't eaten any of it when in mourning. When difficulties came, when trouble came, I didn't take some of the tithe and keep it for myself. Nor have I removed any of it for any unclean use. And you could probably preach a whole sermon on that. Do we use God's tithe for unclean purposes, sinful purposes? nor given him any away for, to the dead, for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. And then verse 15 says, I have done all this, Lord. Now look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people. New Testament, Matthew 6, or Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Jesus is speaking to some scribes, some religious leaders who are pretty proud of themselves. They like to strut around and wear the fancy robes and have the people almost bow before them. They're very arrogant religious leaders. And he confronts them and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise 
and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done. In other words, you should have paid the tithe of those spices. You should have done that. But you shouldn't have left the others undone. Jesus himself is saying, you ought to tithe because it's a principle, an ordinance. It's no longer going to be under the law very soon. But it's something you ought to do. Jesus gives us those. Then there's a scripture, and this will be the last one in this section of its being biblical. It's in Hebrews 7, verse 8. This can cause you to really ponder. You can meditate on this verse and what it might, might all mean. It says, here, mortal men receive your tithes. Mortal men. But there, Jesus, he, in heaven, receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he is alive. Such an interesting thought that we give our tithes to the church, to mortal men, if you would. In God's eyes, Jesus' eyes, it's as if we're giving it to him in heaven. Tithing is a test. It's biblical. And lastly, it's a blessing. I want to encourage you, if you weren't here this morning, to watch the video. Watch it when you get the link, because I'm going way too fast. Second Chronicles 31, 4, 4 through 10. This is a story about a man named Hezekiah. Hezekiah became king of Israel. His father, Ahaz, is described this way according to God. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. His father was evil. He set up idols. They worshipped idols. He destroyed all the stuff of the temple, the sacred things of the temple. They ignored the law. They ignored the word. He was evil. And his son Hezekiah becomes king. And Hezekiah honored God. And in verse Four, it starts, it says, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the study of the law of the Lord. So when we bring your tithes to Victory Church, it's not just so I can study, right? Hopefully, preparing a spiritual meal, we come together together. When you come on a Sunday morning, with the Bible class, the time of worship, the opportunity to give, the, the opening of the word and the sermons, whatever it is, it's like a spiritual meal. All of it. Every course is like a spiritual meal. And we come not just so I can eat, so you can pay my salary. We come because... This is God's church, and he's using this little church and our little community to do things all around the world. We mentioned our missionaries. But he's also doing things here in our families. When we bring your tithes to this church, you're looking at the facilities. You know somebody pays for the building? Somebody pays for the lights? Somebody pays for the heat? Somebody pays the salary of all the staff? We are a little church, and we're fortunate enough to have... 
three, four staff people. I remember the days when there was one. He had to do a lot of things he was really bad at. And you had to suffer for it. It's such a blessing to have multiple staff members. We're working on paying for all the counseling that we do, the Iwana program that we do on Wednesday night, youth groups that we do on Wednesday night, the nursery facilities that we have back there. Some of this equipment belongs to the church. We have good equipment, great equipment back there. It just didn't fall out of the sky. The tithe of the church pays for all of this. And it comes from the body of Christ. Vacation Bible School, women's ministry, men's ministry, I hope you get the point. Someone's paying the bills, and it's coming from our tithes. But some of us aren't tithing. It's not sin. You're not evil. You're not rebellious. You're missing out on the blessings of God. A lot of times when the preacher preaches about tithing or money, the first thought is they just want more of your money. Shoot, I've heard such stories in this community about what this church demands for you to be able to come here and be a member. you got to give all this money or you can't belong to victory. They're the rich church. They're this. They're that. That is such a bunch of malarkey. If anybody's asked you to give a dime so you can be a member, let me know because they lied to you. Do you have to tithe to be a member of this church? No, you do not. Do you have to tithe to be under the blessings of God and avoiding the curse of God? Yes, you do. Victory does not need your money. And believe it or not, God doesn't need your money. He loves you and wants to bless you. And he established these principles, these ordinances, these ordinary principles of behavior that he says... I'm giving you everything. Just give me 10% back. And I'm going to use it to work, do the work of the ministry, to enhance the kingdom. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you as you give. This congregation, you know, Robert Morris put it this way, this congregation is the most generous congregation he's ever been the pastor at. Well, I could say that too. Because you're the only one. But the generosity of this congregation is unbelievable. If we didn't know that before last week, you should know it by now. Unbelievable. I mean, I can just imagine what people would say if they heard what the offering was last week. Pretend like it's not online. They're going to think, well, that's that rich church. No, it's not. That's generous people responding to a need. And it didn't all come from our church. And I'm going to, we go down, Cindy and I go down to get the mail, and there's checks coming every day from everywhere. It's unbelievable. $500 here, $1,000 check here, 500 more here. It's unbelievable. Why? Generosity. There's a need. But as awesome as that is, well, one other thing, we can get a special speaker back here anytime we want them. Because they don't get an offering like they get here anywhere else they travel. Ben Goodman cries when I give him the check. Because he never gets that check anywhere else. Ever. We give him whatever we get as a love offering goes to our special speakers. And then they start calling me. And this is one negative. They call me and want to come back all the time. Praise God. We'd rather be known as a generous church than that church that didn't even pay their mileage. 
generous church. Our budget is healthy. Through COVID, our giving went up. Our missions that we support, we didn't cut anybody. We increased the missions giving. I mean, think about that. A little church gives over $4,000 a month to missionaries. You may be used to it if you belong here, but that doesn't happen at most churches because of the generosity. So I hope you hear me. And I hope you hear my heart and the heart of the leadership when we decided to do this series. Victory doesn't need your money. You need the blessings of God. You need the blessings of God. And most of the time, we don't understand this whole thing about tithing, and it's a principle of God's. Oh, my goodness, where am I at here? We're done almost, aren't we? You guys ready to be done? God, it's good. I didn't get an amen. I want to I go on and fi- read this, and I'll finish up real quickly. I'm reading. Where am I reading from now? Still in Second Chronicles. Listen to this. This is amazing. Hezekiah says, hey, he did a whole bunch of things. He tore down the altars. He redid the temples. He, he, he did all of these wonderful things. He says, have the people bring their tithe to the priests. Verse 5, as soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine and oil and honey and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep also, and the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord. They brought all of this and they laid it in heaps. My mind, in southwest Minnesota, I immediately think of those big piles of corn by the elevators every time we have harvest. And it says, in the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. Why those two months? Two different harvests in Israel. They piled it up. And this is of the tithe, the 10% that they piled up. And when Hezekiah, the king, comes, and he brings some of his leaders with him, and they saw the heaps, and they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And then in verse 9, Hezekiah questions the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. It's like he walks around and he sees these mountains of grain and food, and he says, where in the world did this come from? And then it's like, what about the people? Are they okay? And the priest tells them, from the moment they started tithing, these big heaps you see are just from the tithe. Yeah, to see the 90% they got back home. Tithing works because it's a principle of God. An immutable God who does not change. It worked before the law, it worked during the law, it's worked after the law, and it works under the new covenant of grace. When I speak to people, and if you ask somebody about tithing, you get a couple of things. One, they'll maybe say something like, well, that's under the law, it's not biblical, I don't have to do it. Well, hopefully we can understand that one and put that to rest. 
But the second thing I hear is two testimonies. If I could call people up here, and there's some of you that could give great testimonies, and hopefully we'll have some of you do that. They say, when I started tithing, I have been blessed by God ever since. Many of you have heard me share the testimony of our church, Victory Church, when Pastor Ken Lundin was the pastor. There were weeks we as a church could not pay him his check when it was due because we did not have enough money. And to his credit, he never complained once. I don't think. Do you remember him complaining, Bob? He'd like to have his pay, I'm sure. But you know what? We were teaching tithing, but the church didn't tithe. We didn't tithe as a body. Whatever this church gives, 10% automatically is sent to other ministries. This church tithes off our tithe, the body's tithe. We didn't do that. We couldn't pay our pastor some weeks. And then one night at one elders meeting back then, or board meeting then, it was a board meeting, we were talking about this, and it was like, you know what, guys, what are we thinking? We're asking the people to tithe, but we're not tithing as a church. We started tithing that next week, and this church has never, ever had a shortage of funds since that day. 30-plus years later, never have had a shortage of finances. Tithing. It is a blessing. That's why I said it's life, not law. God is testing our hearts. He's testing us. Do we trust him? Do you love him? Can we give our tithe to his church? I'm going to close with this thought. and Thank you for your patience. Do we believe what the Bible says? Who does or what does God call his church? He calls it the bride of Christ. If the church is a bride of Christ and we're not following the principle of tithing, we're ignoring his bride. How would must God feel when his bride is being ignored? Or we could say it more harshly and still be very biblical. How would God feel when we're robbing from his bride? It's a heart test. It's very, very biblical. And it's a blessing. Our hope is that we catch the vision and the understanding of those truths. That it's a blessing. We need God, to rebuke the devourer on our behalf. The devourer comes to steal, kill, and destroy in every area of a Christian's life, not just finances, every area of our life. Under this principle, this ordinance of God, he promises to rebuke the devourer. Does that mean everything will be perfect every day? Gosh, no, it doesn't mean that. But it means he will get us through it. His grace is abundant. He's faithful to his promises. Well, let's just close in prayer. Father, I pray that everything that I felt led to share this morning is true according to your word. Father, I pray you would guard it 
Guard your word and guard the hearts of all of us here. Anybody that could hear my voice, Lord, guard their heart. If there's anything that I said that is not in accordance with your word, God, I pray that it could do no harm to anyone. But, Lord, I pray and believe that your word is true, that you are the Lord who never changes, and there is a principle here for us, your kids, to embrace that will bring life as your blessings bring life and give life. Pray for each one. Lord, and I also pray in the name of Jesus and the authority in that name that the enemy could not turn or twist this and bring any guilt or condemnation or shame to anyone about their tithing. Lord, that there would be just a heart check by your Holy Spirit. Because your word is also clear, Lord, you want a cheerful giver who gives out of a generous heart. And that's our hope and our prayer. Pray you bless each one as we go our separate ways. Watch over them as they drive on the roads. We pray for your protection. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.